Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with the veteran jazz artists, bassist David Chavan and pianist Warren Bird. They opened up about their new 2024 album, Our Feet Began to Pray, out on the Reckless DC music label. The concept for the title song, My Feet Began to Pray, came during a protest march after the death of George Floyd as the New Haven police were moving the crowd across the bridge. So way back in the 90s, a lasting friendship was born out of jazz. Warren was playing piano at a jam session at a now-defunct jazz bastion in Hartford, Connecticut, while David Siobhan sat in for a tune or two on the bass. This began the union that has lasted for decades. We get into the music, the world today, and so much more. Enjoy. But anyways, man, I, I love your project, and I want to get into it. Before we do, I want to know, how did you survive the last three and a half years? How did you get through the pandemic, and how has it changed you? Mm-hmm. The best we could. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, it's um, there, there were a lot of uh, moments. I, I know for me, um, as a musician, it required just a great deal of resourcefulness and uh, thinking out of the box. And that's actually um, something that David often referred to as thinking out of the box here. And uh, we found our ways. I, I know I, I actually took part in a 75-week um, regular Friday broadcast with my wife from um, Facebook. We called it the Feel Good Friday Hour. And, uh, yeah, it, it didn't necessarily net us any income. But, um, you know, it was fun to do. And a lot of people really... Um, uh, felt good from it you know they they really got a lot out of it and but, it kept uh, you guys playing that was that's right thing. that's the other thing for sure yeah. and then there there was work there was work in there somewhere uh the first part of um uh the uh, pandemic was it was kind of tricky and yeah. i think it actually speaks directly to how we got this uh latest album out too you know and and how why it took three years to finally get it out you know but that's right well, I'll just say we also did quite a few um, live stream performances during the pandemic um, as a group. We had we had quite a few opportunities to do that, but those were, you know, one offs, which which was really hard, but it helped us keep the group together. But the interesting thing, Joe, is quite literally days before basically the entire country shut down, we had scheduled a recording session for mid-March of 2020. And we had done a big rehearsal for that recording session. Among other things, we were going to bring back our original percussionist, Baba David Coleman, uh, who had played with us since the beginning in, uh, in, the, early, in the late 90s. And uh, he had to retire because he'd been very sick, but we were flying him in. We were uh, going to put him up. He was going to be part of the recording session. But we got a call right after the rehearsal. I'm driving home from rehearsal, and I get a call from the owner of the studio. Hey, you know, things are a little hairy with this, with this virus. They're shutting down the state. I think we should cancel and do it another time. So we went from planning to record in March 2020 <clears throat> to having to put it on hold by the time we were ready again you know masks off and ready again to record uh baba had succumbed to horrific cancer and and died 
So we never got to actually do the album that we intended to do. Wow. This album contains much of the music that would have been on that album, plus more things that we've written and arranged since then. And I think that's the thing. This album contains a lot of heavy things that we've all lived through. And, you know, that's the thing that I think art does its best. And even in the world of jazz, I mean, from, you know, John Coltrane pinning Alabama to, you know, Dizzy going over into war-torn areas and they stop conflicts. Jazz has always kind of been this universal language and light that's gotten into people and it's done a lot of good. So when you look at the context of this album, talk to me a little bit about the message and, and kind of dealing with the heavy of living in this reality right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the thing is, is that we live in a society and a culture where you cannot deny, that is, that's sort of um, a parenthesis to say, you cannot deny that race has played a part or the concept of race has played a part. And one of the things that we've purported to do is to sort of bridge differences. And uh, when me and David started this project, or I should say when David came up to me and says, hey, should we explore this? And um, I took my time to get into it. One of the things I think we became conscious of was how very obvious that we were coming from different places with our looking at uh, the liturgical and uh, sacred music of our traditions, of our respective traditions, and um, how that could play out to be a positive strike. So in the title of the album, Our Feet Begin to Pray, inherent in that title is a wonderful story david loves to tell but i just wanted to highlight that it talks directly about doing something about what's going on as opposed to merely watching it only watching it at least being able to give a, an energy towards allowing things to um to be a part of the conversation of change as opposed to um saying, oh, well, that's the way it is, and it's probably going to stay that way, and um, I'm going to continue to resent it, and I'm going to continue to hate it, because that way I'm supporting my 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 uh, forebears. Um, it, this is not that. This is, in fact, trying to carry on the work of other forebears, but mm -hmm. I would like David to actually uh, speak to that himself. Well, it's nice that you'd like that. Primo. Um, yeah, no, no. Here's the thing. Um, like all the different pieces that, that we, we created are, are as, as you're sort of understanding, part of a larger puzzle, which is how can we celebrate both our commonalities and our ability to be different from one another? And then how can we come together to try to resolve some of the bigger problems in our communities uh, and um, just in the world. I mean, when we recorded the album, we couldn't have imagined quite the hot mess that things would be right here in this historic moment. Um, and yet, because that's happened so often, it's anticipated in some of our choices and some of the pieces. Um, one of the things to understand is as artists, as musicians, um, 
as, as people with a sense of history is that we communicate with the past over and over again. One of the pieces that we composed uh, together for this album is a piece called Retelling the Tales That Our Ancestors Told Us, which is a way of saying that over and over, every generation needs to keep those old stories alive, whether it's an origin story, whether it's a story about caution, a story about love, we're constantly retelling these stories, these parables, and finding ways to make them relevant in our own lives. Uh, the piece that is the title track of this album is a really good example of that. Uh, Our Feet Began to Pray was something that I was thinking about before uh, the murder of George Floyd. I was already playing around with sort of a musical idea and this idea of my feet began to pray, what does that mean? And I was really exploring it more from a historic perspective because at that moment we hadn't started protesting. Uh, and I was thinking about what I'd learned of Representative John Lewis and Rabbi, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, how both of them, uh, after crossing the Edmund Pettus Bridge, spoke from their own traditions about what that meant. And they both used this, this, this phrase. John Lewis talks about an African proverb which uh, we don't yet know the origin of, but he cites it in his autobiography, which says, when you pray, pray with your feet. And Heschel, who crossed the bridge with Lewis, with Dr. King, he was one of the allies, one of the white allies that was part of the movement. It was a Sabbath day when, when all of this took place. And people asked him why he wasn't in synagogue. And he really responded with this idea that he said, I felt I was praying with my feet. And if it had just been there, it would be a nice historic piece. But I found myself on the front lines in the protests, and some of the other members of the group were also part of the protest. Uh, and I was thinking about this song as the protesters were being forced onto a bridge and forced by the police onto the highway. And I realized here we are, it's happening again. These tropes, these ideas, we need to understand that ways that history repeats itself and how we can heal and how we can bring people together and how we can use jazz to promote social justice, just the way Mingus did, just the way, uh, um, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm having a brain fart. You'll cut that Ellington. Out. I mean, you can Ellington, just say Ellington. Right. Yeah. Ellington, Mingus. Rubeck. Um, yeah, all of the great the great jazz artists use Ooh, jazz as social pro protest. You, you look at um, what, what Max was doing. Max Roach, yeah. Or, or Sonny Rollins with Freedom Suite. We don't see ourselves as unique. We see ourselves as part of an ongoing jazz tradition. Amen. So, hey, you know, okay, before you continue, I just wanted to say thank you for that question because, you know, it's very easy to find yourself skating over things. And when really we're trying to we're trying to deliver a message, you know, and it, it can be a little bit heavy for some folks to look at jazz and and let jazz be uh, some sort of agent for change or for consciousness about the things that are wrong and trying to figure out how doing um, how to do right about them. Um, 
but I also want to make comment that I really love your background. I mean, it's your, thank you. Yeah, you're, you're, it's really cool. You know, I love this this kind of almost like kitty style art, and then someone blowing over. You know, that's, that's cool. I'm a visual artist as well, so that's one of my paintings. Ah, oh, beautiful! Wow, that's great. And yeah, and I have shows around town. I I I do too many things, but. Um, this cool. is one that's kind of a landscape of downtown Kansas City. And that character right there is an early painting I did of Miles in the middle of this kind of painted vortex. So it's kind of a that vi uh, Milesian vibe to it, man. Yeah. 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 Well, look, my I, I'm a big Miles fan. My son, my only son, his name is Miles. So I'm in the club. Uh, okay. There you go. So you and my wife, by the way. <laughs> so I want to, you know, and I want to kind of piggyback off what you're saying. And I think that's the thing about what we all live through. As, as an artist, this is the time to shine. There were so many things. It was 1960, 1970, parts of 50. All of these decades came crashing into each other. And as artists, mm -hmm. you all responded and you all put things out. And I find is somebody that curates and goes through all this music to find the best hour every week. I love the fact that people are stepping out and saying, you know what? Not okay. Or this is the way that I want to put it out there. We don't need to let the headline of George Floyd that's gone in the rear view ever go away because there was a moment and there was a notion that we all have to adhere to because we have to do better as people to take care of each other. That's the bottom line. And that's the thing that was, I think, emblematic of so many things that happened with George Floyd. After all of those months of being in the home, everybody was like, I'm going out. I'm, I'm out. I'm going into the streets. I'm done. I'm, I, I can't watch this happen anymore. And at that time, things like that were happening all the time. Boom, mm. boom, every yes. other week. And it's like, this has got to stop. This can't be. And this isn't a war on police. This is this is a clarion call to humanity to take care of each other, no matter what. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, the thing is about your, about George Floyd is George Floyd is one of tens of thousands of individuals who have suffered under the hands of law enforcement like this, which is not to say that law enforcement is totally bad. It's just that there were incidences that had not been addressed properly and led to like systems of incompetence. And right. so, I mean, like it was great that there were cameras available and some kind of leak available that we got to really see the, the veil unlifted at that moment. But I can tell you stories about friends of mine from way back in the day um, when I grew up in a, a project in Hartford, Connecticut, who were talking about how the cops were like, pulling them over and saying, get in the car and bring him behind a billboard somewhere and like working them over, you know, and, and like for whatever reason, it didn't really matter what, but they were young youth. They were youth of, um, of color or of another um, income level. And they were basically taken advantage of by, by members of the police force. And those things, had gone on for so long. And then suddenly we had got a chance to see directly what happens when this is left unchecked. So, I mean, 
darn, I'm glad that we got a chance to speak on it. So this yeah. song will serve this song will serve many purposes in that regard. And I think the ancestors who uh um who care are smiling on on it. So. For sure. So I want to know how did you two hook up? How did this musical union happen? How are we all sitting here right now? Well, Dr. Feldman's a hell of a guy, and uh, we played a couple of times with each other, and we liked each other. So it kind of starts to no let let him <laughs> let him tell. No, we we um, I moved to Connecticut in the uh, early '90s, and around '95, I think maybe Warren and I met up somewhere in there. Uh, we met up, and he started playing on some of my gigs. I started playing on some of his gigs. And we were just two guys playing, you know, your basic Connecticut jazz gigs together. Uh, when one one weekend, Warren had a nice stint at one of the casinos here in Connecticut and uh, in one of the lounges. And I, I tried to give myself enough time, but I showed up late to the gig. And on that particular gig, um, while they were waiting for me, they were playing an old gospel song, a piece by Andre Crouch called Soon and Very Soon. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought, of course, oh, they're playing this as kind of a musical joke because I'm not there. So soon and very soon, <laughs> the bass player is going to show up, you know. Uh, so I thought, well, heh, heh, heh. And I pulled out my bass uh, out of the case, plugged into the amp, and I just started finishing. I finished the song with him because... I'd done a bit of sub work in black churches in Brooklyn, New York, where I'd been living before this. So I was familiar enough with the tune that I could I could um, find my way through the rest of it. And at the break, I said, that was fun to Warren. <laughs> and we had both been listening. You may remember this album it was called Steal Away. It was a really cool duo album with uh, Charlie Hayden and Hank Jones. Hank Jones. So we had both been talking about that album and how much it touched us and how really gorgeous it was to have, you know, the the conversation between Hank Jones and Charlie Hayden, which is some beautiful playing. Uh, and I said, well, what would happen if we took that idea and applied it to Jewish and African-American music? And, well, Warren will tell you he was not so sure that was a great idea. <laughs> I won't go into depth. I, I mean, you know, it, you can um, probably look it up and find it. It's all over the place. But no, I was just saying, like, uh, mm, do we want to be the poster children of integration to stay in time? You know, it's like, and I think I remarked at one point, I was so busy trying to be hip that it didn't seem to be something that, uh, I would like jive well with at that time, but I loved the music. The music was so beautiful to check out. And I was into checking out a lot of things. And um, it just was great to work with David on it and uh, see what a duo could do with this material. Yeah. And uh, both we were both strong musicians with a lot of passion when we played and uh, some interesting results occurred. Yeah. But the rest of the story, I guess I will leave in David's hand because 
it directly involves his synagogue. Well, I mentioned something to the cantor at my synagogue that uh, Warren and I were playing around with these ideas. And I belong to a synagogue in the New Haven area called Mishkan Israel, which is a historically famous synagogue in civil rights in this community because Dr. King spoke there, gave essentially an early draft of his I Have a Dream speech. And so every year to honor the memory of Dr. King, the synagogue has an MLK service, which is a communal, community wide event. We've got imams and priests and all kinds of ministers who participate and they invited us to come in and play. And keep in mind, Joe, that Warren and I, this was all new to us. We were used to playing in uh, jazz clubs, in restaurants, you know, not in a house of worship. Um, in fact, I would joke with the rabbi, say, you know, I'm, I'm busy praying at, at, at my house of worship on Friday night uh, downtown. Why don't you come after services? He never thought it was that funny. But I do think that all jazz, all jazz, regardless of what we do, even if it's just, you know, you know, cocktail lounge jazz has a spiritual element to it. Yeah, yeah I mean, so music we, in we, general. So we played that service. And at first, you know, we finished the piece, the first piece, whatever it was, and it was dead silent, which, of course, is typical in a synagogue because uh, it's considered disrespectful to clap during a synagogue service. And then all of a sudden, the room erupted. Mm. It just erupted. I, I remember that. And, um, you know, sort of this wave came over us. And uh, we played and played, and then we were done. And then there was a little uh, a little uh, get together after the service, a little uh, some 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 nosh, a little something to drink, and people came up to us. And by the end of uh, that little get together, we had two more gigs. Right on. So our feet our feet began to pray. What are you hoping the listener gets from this album? Well, I think Doctor Shevin should really assail that one as well. But Thanks, I'm hoping. Sir. I'm hoping that people will be inspired to look between the spaces of some of the complacency they may have adopted. I'm hoping that those people who have embraced that we need change continue to bolster their point of view. I'm hoping that there's some people who will be introduced to new ways of thinking about what it means to be a human being. I mean, what it means to be universal and what does it mean to be all related? And I mean, it's very easy to create the walls and put in, put ourselves into the boxes of groups. And there's validity in recognizing where you're coming from. But I think we really have to learn how to like, how do we say? Um, uh, melt away the boundaries, man. And that's what I hope this song did. We have a couple of songs that directly address that. One of them is Shedding Our Color. That's um, right. My brother-in-law wrote that song. And he had written, I think, written it back in 2007. But he comes to us around, he comes to me and my, my wife around 2016 and says, hey, I got a song for you. So my wife is Dutch and Caucasian. And, well, I'm African-American and I'm from America. 
Um, and he says, I got a song for you, Shedding Our Color. And um, I looked at it. It was a little bit slow. Um, and it was lovely. But I thought, well, I'm not sure if this is really our thing. Um, but then I got a flash of light. <laughs> well, not really a flash of light, literally, but you know, I mean, like a, a eureka. And I thought, well, gee, maybe the Afro-Semitic experience can do something with something like this. And we put a little ka-chunk-a-chunk on it. And uh, next thing you know, whoa, it's on the album. Um, yeah. But it directly talks about what it means to um, commune in spirit, to be like brother and sister, and just loving each other as opposed to um, embracing the differences and, and just putting away the bigotry. And I know yeah. it sounds like try it as all get out when you look at it that way. But really, it's it's the bottom line of what's going on with much of what we're addressing when we yeah. call ourselves the Afro-Semitic experience. Yeah. I mean, people, people we, we're all different as human beings. But uh, as Alvin Carter's father often has said when he's sat in with us in concert, we have to look at one another long enough till we can see our similarities more than our differences. Yeah. And I think that theme runs a lot through the music. Certainly, the not the title track, but the opening track of Unity in the Community is really meant to be a rally to, to bring people together. And again, to find the ways in which we are all common, common to one another, human beings, and we can celebrate that while still having you know our our own individuality and our own beliefs uh and our own practices that those can coexist so and you give people a nice swing beat too you know yeah, that too if they, yeah. you, you can if you can begin to love each other and have a groove under it man that's going to be like a great world i think a amen so it comes out today on reckless dc records where's the yeah. best place for people to pick this up and to find out anything about you guys the best place on the internet is our website because it's the only place in the entire world where you can actually get the physical cd with the incredible artwork that was created for us by ellis echevarria really a gorgeous cover yeah um and you can also get the tracks from us now if you're a streamer you can go to the streaming services, but I'm not going to name them because we get maybe like one one hundredth of a penny for every play. Um, and, you know, people are welcome to listen to our music there. But if they want to support the band, if they want to get to know the band better, we invite them to come to our website. Yes, I double that. Perfect. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being open and candid about this project. Thank you for the project. And have a great 2024, man. I appreciate it. Hey, same to you, man. Yeah, same thank to you so much for having us. Really appreciate yeah. it. Thanks for listening and tuning into another Neon Chess interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in Connecticut, Kansas City, and spots all over the globe, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to both Warren and David for being open, honest, and cool. If you want to hear more Neon Jazz interviews, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us at YouTube and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends.
Neon Jazz.